0: Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media.
1: I'm Path Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City.
0: And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I'm I'm something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Culture Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and
1: outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan welcome to season 2 episode 4 of breaking the surface I'm here with Anthony today uh, Taylor couldn't be with us today so Anthony and I are gonna handle this one solo we look forward to having Taylor back with us in the next episode um, as as we literally as we are sitting recording this um, on a Monday uh, there is a lot of international tension uh, focused on Russia and Ukraine um, uh President Putin of Russia is expected to give an address today um, about the whether, you know, the basically the situation is, is Russia going to invade the Ukraine? They've amassed a lot of troops on the border. There's a a lot of nervousness that he is, in fact, planning to invade. Um, A lot of intelligence hasn't been too promising on that front. Um, and so right now everyone's kind of in a, a watch and see mode. Uh, President Biden is at the White House with a lot of advisors, even though it's a federal holiday today. I'm kind of monitoring what's happening. So it seems like this week in particular it's been tense for several weeks now, but it seems like it's kind of peaking this week um, in terms of nervousness about what's going to happen. So, Anthony, I'm just curious. I, I've seen you post some articles about it. I've certainly been trying to trying to read about it and understand it. I don't pretend to be an expert in foreign policy, um, but I know a little bit of the history of the region and our relationship with Russia and Ukraine, and just wanted to maybe start by getting your kind of general thoughts about the situation, What what's interested you about it or what you've been kind of reading about.
0: Like you, Beth, I am not an <laughs> expert in what's happening over there, but I've been trying to follow it. And for two reasons. One is, I just, war is a bad thing, and it bothers me when wars. the potential for wars are brewing. Secondly, I have friends who live in Ukraine. Mm. Um, I have some pastor friends there that I consider good friends, and I have been talking with them over the years about the tensions with Russia, uh, what happened when the Crimean Peninsula was taken over. And I don't know if I've told you this story before, but these particular friends, they were in Russia when the crimean peninsula was invaded Mm. and so my friend is a pastor he was at a church in russia and it was announced during the morning service that the invasion had begun and the entire church erupted in wild applause and he was baffled by this like Mm. what is happening well came to find out that putin had thoroughly convinced the people of russia that the ukrainians were committing human rights atrocities against Russians in the Crimean Peninsula and so their act of going in there was an act of humanitarianism and they were rescuing people I mean they were accusing them of cannibalism and (laughs) it was crazy stuff and so you realize the the average person in Russia just didn't know Mm -hmm. and so I've been interested since then um, just because there's people I know involved but also the idea that in today's world, I think I take for granted, in places like here in the United States, we have access to so much information, and even if we get lots of misinformation, we surely have access to the real thing. And realizing that in in Russia, even today, I think probably more people than we realize just genuinely don't know a narrative outside of the state propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been a zip of interest to me, also, and watching how. Russia tries to control the narrative on the world stage, and realizing that an awful lot of their people really think Putin is the good guy, mm-hmm. and doing the world and perhaps the Russian people and perhaps even the Ukrainians a favor by doing this. Meanwhile, I think I think most of the rest of the world's looking at it going. Well, this looks like a horrible thing is about to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Russia is obviously very skilled at propaganda and misinformation. Um, you know, we saw that obviously in our own (laughs) 2016 election, um, and in subsequent elections. Uh, but also, you know, there's definitely, there's been a lot of reports even right now, you know, like a lot of information that Russia is planting, that somehow Ukraine is already starting to initiate or provoke its own actions or is shelling Russia. Um, you know, this is complicated in, in part by you mentioned the annexation of Crimea, but there's also, you know, there's separatists along the borders, Um, Several parts of Ukraine. So it's easy to kind of filter in misinformation through those channels. Um, And I think at least now, unlike the past, uh, the Ukrainian people are aware of the extent of Russia's propaganda reach. And so it seems like they're not as easily persuaded by, you know, false media reports that leak into their country as they've been in the past. But it's very like Russia to sort of have some kind of pretext for invading the country. I mean, Putin doesn't need one. If he wa- It seems like he's very eager to <laughs> to invade. I mean, he's had, if you know, and I only know a little, but if you know a little bit of the history and, and how bitter Putin has been about Russia losing Ukraine um, decades ago, you know it's something that he's wanted back. He's very fearful of the Ukraine becoming more strongly allied with the West. Joining NATO possibly has obviously been a huge touchpoint of this. Um, And so I think, you know, while it's effective, I think everyone at this point pretty much knows Russia's tricks, except for maybe, like you said, the Russian people who don't have access to really much else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's no one who's really kind of, I think, falling for the fact that he would invade for any other reason than he wants to invade and has clearly been planning to possibly.
0: Right, it would almost be better if he would just shrug his shoulders and go, I just want it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> That would make
0: more sense than all of the other grandstanding. I think everybody knows, right? Like the NATO thing, yeah, that, Well, okay, so along with that, it's also been exposing the complexities of international relationships. Mm-hmm. Because Germany is really kind of being pushed to the side because they rely on Russia for oil. And I don't fully understand all the complexities of that, but it's a big, big deal. And so Germany is very reluctant to speak much about it from what I've seen. Maybe they've changed their mind, Mm -hmm. but a a lot of those intricacies are showing up and those, those aren't bad intricacies on any given normal day, but they become very complicating when stuff goes south. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder if you won't see realignments after this potentially of how people are doing business. Add to that Beth in in today's world, The way that you can talk people out of fighting it used to basically just be force well now because we are so interconnected there's all kinds of ways that you can put economic pressure on a nation that putin doesn't want i mean i think it started with both the u.s and england i believe like refusing to do business with the russian oligarchs Mm -hmm. and then it moves on to trade issues and all kinds of stuff there are really ways to put the screws on if people wanted to and I think that's part of the discussions that are happening now is all right if you invade Ukraine here's what's coming down and I stopping short of military action I'm not sure what's being proposed currently about potential military response to you
1: yeah I mean it's interesting because I feel like that has also been a fluid situation I, I think you know as it has looked more and more serious, I've seen the talks intensify and some of the leaders of countries sort of try to get on the same page about, like, economic sanctions. The U.S. alone could cause some economic harm. Certainly, they've talked about, like, limiting tech exports. So you couldn't get, like, an iPhone anymore in Russia or things like that. Um but you're right, like I think Germany, Austria has a pipeline, a new a newly built pipeline that goes into Russia that's supposed to that has, was opposed by a lot of countries like the u s because they were worried it would strengthen russia's position. but Germany Austria has talked about um you know that pipeline could be in play of cutting off gas uh, into Russia, which would be you know a pretty serious blow economically for the country and so and other countries are are in the same boat of trying to do what they can economically militarily. You know, it's such a. This is such a. It'd be interest. It'd be so interesting to see what it would be like if Trump was president right now. I cannot even imagine how he would navigate this situation, given his uh, sort of bald admiration <laughs> of Putin. Um, but even Biden, who I think is a, you know, whatever you think of him politically, is a pretty experienced statesman. I mean, he's been in Congress for for a long time. He knows these players, um, and he has, I think, a good sense of diplomacy and not acting too hastily. Um, and I think he f- is still stinging from bungling kind of the exit from Afghanistan. So. I think he's aware of how much pressure he's in, and I think Putin is also aware of how delicate a situation Biden is in. So initially, he was—you know—they were saying we're not going to commit the U.S. military to actual boots on the ground. We're not—we're not going to go into Ukraine and start fighting alongside Ukrainians if Russia invades. And I—I I, I don't know if that position has changed, but they certainly have talked about deploying more troops near Ukraine, um, maybe to provide aid or logistical support. I think was worrying. I'd be interested. I think, you know, you and I are a little apart age wise, not much, but a little, (laughs) maybe, maybe, maybe a decade, (laughs) but like, I don't have really a modern context for this. It's kind of interesting. Like I was, I was a child when the Gulf war happened. So I have vague memories of that, you know, on TV. And certainly I was around for nine 11 and in Iraq and um, Afghanistan, but it's kind of, I know there's a lot of historical context for invasions, but it's kind of crazy to me to live in a modern era And be like, are we all watching the same thing? Like, it's a possible modern day invasion by a huge country like Russia into Ukraine. And we're all just kind of standing around waiting it for potentially to happen. And it seems like, I mean, at least the estimates from the intelligence agencies are that if it does, it could cause mass casualties um, to the Ukrainian people. So I don't know if you remember things like the Gulf War, maybe a little bit more clear than I do, but it just it feels really strange to me that it's still happening in this day and age I know that maybe is naive but it, it's weird
0: no I, I agree with that it feels weird to me too I do remember the Gulf War um, I remember where I was when I heard it announced on the radio that it had started oh really okay. um, yeah but those those were so fast and so overwhelming
1: yeah
0: I don't get the impression that this would be a war that is over in that kind of fashion Um, and and if you do start to get other countries involved, literally like boots on the ground kind of involvement with troops, well, now it's, it's not just the devastation that would happen between the Ukraine and Russia fighting it's the added devastation that would happen if you bring more troops and the fighting gets even worse. Like there's a little bit of attention even in that. Yeah. Um, And so I, I don't know. It does feel surreal to me. You're reading stories every day and you're getting intelligence reports from the U.S. and around the world going, this is going to be Putin's next move. This is going to be Putin's next move. <laughs> and it's his next move. Like, he'll create a false flag. And then the next thing you read is a story about, oh, yeah, we had a building shelled and destroyed by Ukrainian forces, which I don't believe for a second. Yeah. Um, and so watching all of it is the, one of the surreal things to me. Um, before we had the internet even, Mm -hmm. news was just that much slower. I mean, of course, the further you go back in history, the longer it takes for it to travel. And you might find stuff out, like suddenly it comes crashing it upon you, but there's nothing sudden about this.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, But you could see a a ticker run across your screen here any second that says uh, the invasion has been done, or it might never happen. It is a little
1: weird. Yeah, I mean... And Boris Johnson from the U.K. was saying that, you know, he his assessment or Britain's assessment was that, you know, Putin was prepared to sort of drag Europe into the biggest conflict since World War Two. So you hear those, you know, those kind of dire pronouncements. And then you have heard in recent weeks that, no, he's bluffing or he's going to pull back or, you know, it's been wildly over exaggerated what he's going to do. This is just what Putin wants. He wants attention. He wants to dominate the international stage. Stage, and like I said in the in in the past month or two, it felt less serious. It just feels like it's ga- gaining some kind of momentum. Um, and just knowing the way that Putin is, like this sort of grandstanding arrogance that he has, I think what's challenging me me now is. When you get sort of authoritarian figures, or especially ones who seem narcissistic, which Putin does, when you give them this kind of stage and all eyes are on them and they've amassed all these troops on the border, you really, for him now to back down, there has to be some way in which he feels like he's winning or saving face with the Russian people. And that will take I don't know what kind of extraordinary concession from the U.S., a promise that Ukraine could never join NATO. I don't know what it would be, but I don't know that it's a concession the U.S. would be willing to make. And so. I could see the momentum tipping over into him invading Ukraine for no other reason than he simply asked to save face. Like he's put himself in this position at the border. Um, and what would all of that work and troop amassment and everything have been for if he just kind of quietly goes away? So I just feel it's so precarious. I don't know what his move could be for, for his, from his perspective.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't know either.
1: It's kind of scary (laughs) to think about. So here's a question for you. We've talked on the podcast uh, before, you and Taylor and I. um, We did an episode where we talked about the U.S. involvement in other countries. And we had mentioned things like Rwanda and Afghanistan. I think we talked about this right after the exit from Afghanistan. And we sort of talked about our own individual opinions about when we feel personally comfortable that it's a morally correct thing for the U.S. to either invade or support another country with military action. Like, right. and I think what I landed on in the episode, and maybe we had some consensus with the three of us was just that, you know, it seemed like the U.S. should be using as much as possible its force, one, for good, for the, for the benefit or, or support of other countries, not for the exploitation, say, of their resources like oil. Yeah. And two, when that help was asked for and wanted. Um, so we wouldn't just go into places and sort of offer whatever our version of aid looks like um, in sort of a grandstanding way without being like, hey, Africa, like, what do you actually need from us? You probably don't need T-shirts. You might need water and food. <laughs> that kind of thing um so in this situation i'm just curious what you think like how what would you think about the u.s offering military support to ukraine if an invasion did happen
0: i would probably go back to the premises of just war theory okay. which I've, I've had occasion to talk with some groups about recently and while i think just war theory the, the bar is so high that no war is going to pass all of the markers for it it's probably the best tool we have to think about what it looks like if we do feel the need to justify that type of action. One clear um, thing that would justify the, a reason for going to war is defensive wars. If you're being invaded, you have a right to defend yourself. And so I would think as an ally to a country being invaded, that justification would be in place mm. versus a war of aggression for any other kind of reason. So if Ukraine would say, would you help us defend ourselves from Russia? I think we would be justified in doing that. What what, um, what I'm finding interesting in some of the discussion is that I've been seeing, especially from the conservative side, a lot of, or at least a fair amount of discussion about, this is not ours to be involved in, or even almost defending Russia. Hmm. Um, and Perhaps Tucker Carlson has been the biggest voice for this, which is, I don't understand. I'm not going to speculate about all the reasons behind that. But I was really surprised to see that. And I'm thinking back to, it was only it was 60 years ago. Well, less than that during the cold war, that the concern about the spread of communist ideology throughout the world was such that we were willing to go to war, active war in various places in the world to stop the spread of communism. Mm-hmm. And that was a thoroughly conservative view of the world. Mm-hmm. And now I'm hearing the same, uh, I'm hearing the grandchildren of those conservatives, or maybe with the children of those conservatives, go like, you know what, it's okay if Russia, which is communist, conquers another country that is seeking to be more closely aligned with the kind of government we have. And that's just their business. It's not ours. That's a remarkable shift in several decades. And I'm I'm not sure I understand where that has come from.
1: How Um, much—sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but just curious, just to follow up on that, how much do you think that could be tied to Trump and specifically tied to the 2016 election, that if the narrative is that Russia was somehow instrumental in Trump and by proxy the Republican Party winning a successful election— that is not a, a comfortable narrative for the GOP. Um, that means that that means that it, it mean, essentially means that otherwise the Democrats could and should have won. Right. That's not a narrative mm-hmm. that they want. They want out there. So at a certain point, not only because of um, Trump's personal affinity for Putin, which he's made very clear and has put yeah. our intelligence uh, yeah. agency in a really uncomfortable position um, in our negotiating skills are, are kind of hamstrung by mm-hmm. that. Um but I just wonder if if you know other Republicans essentially have fallen into line and sort of changed the narrative. Because you're right, even for me, like I said, with not having a ton of foreign policy experience and just sort of reading about this and trying to learn mm-hmm. about it. Um, I, as a journalist, am just so outraged by who Putin is and how he's treated his people and the murders yeah. and assassinations of the press and you know shooting down airliners. I mean, this guy is not a good guy, and I can't believe right. that in our country we'd have, like you said with the history we have with Russia that we'd have to like say that and try to convince people of that instead of it right. being like right. we are all used to be on the same page about this.
0: So my observation, and this is just anecdotal,
1: mm-hmm. is
0: that I haven't talked personally with people who are defending Russia. Okay, And if I think of my Facebook uh, feed, I haven't seen people posting things in defense of Russia or of Putin. If anything, they just haven't been posting anything. Where I've been seeing it is with my news aggregate site that I use which covers how um, mainstream media sources are covering the story. It would have more of the talking heads, the people who are kind of movers and shakers. That's where I've been surprised to find what seems like a remarkable inconsistency. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how much that is shared by the rank and file, in this case, conservative. But there's at least a number of really powerful voices that are really quite either supportive of Putin or or at best, Simply telling people this isn't our business, let them do what they're going to do. I have to think there's some connection with the last five years and the the relationship and the admiration that President Trump expressed for Putin, especially if he's going to run again. I'm sure this is all intertwined in terms of um, how we're aligned, how we're building our alliances right now, not just relationally within the party. But around the world, I mean, during President Trump's presidency, a lot of our typical world leaders did not particularly align themselves with President Trump. Mm-hmm. He seemed to find affinity with Putin, um, with Kim Jong-il,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, to whom he wrote love letters. By his- <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it wasn't great.
0: <laughs> and uh, e- even defending Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. like it was an interesting shift between uh, who those countries and leaders who had traditionally kind of been in our corner with us, um, and then suddenly were distancing themselves, and and world leaders I would never have anticipated United States presidents um, befriending were suddenly becoming the norm. So. I don't know how much of this might have to do with looking ahead to future political realities, too. But like I said, I'm seeing a couple influential voices saying this are surprising me, but I'm not necessarily hearing it from the average person. I think the average person is going, this, no, this can't be good.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, if an invasion does happen, um, I think it will be pretty disastrous for Ukraine. Um, They're certainly not equipped to fight off a a Russian invasion. Um, And it seems like Russia, if it, does invade is pretty intent on on crushing (laughs) the ukrainian people um so you could have you know a pretty unmitigated humanitarian disaster unfolding in that country and because of the speed of the internet and the things that we were talking about those images are going to be immediately available to the world and so at that point you know ukraine's allies are going to including us are going to have to decide what to do um you know, we don't know what kind of support we'll have been offering at that leading up to that. Mm-hmm. But assuming, like say, an invasion even happened this week, we don't – there's not uh, that I can tell any military commitment from major allies yet in Ukraine, you know, boots on the ground. So to take some time to respond and get resources marshaled, I just – what that will mean politically for the entire like global community I'm really interested mm-hmm. to see especially coming up and not to think of it selfishly because my, I'm thinking mostly of the Ukrainian people truly but our you know midterm elections are coming up this year so this is going to be a major talking point if it does progress within our own political parties. And then you're right. I'm going to be really curious to see, like, is this is going to be a a football, you know, or a hot potato where people are criticizing Biden for not helping enough, helping too much, not being strong enough with uh, Putin, you know, be coming on too strong and not working on a deal, whatever the case is, you know, both sides will find a way to politicize it as they always do. But if it continues or is or is impactful enough to in, influence the next presidential election in two years. And Trump is another player on the scene. I am really, really, really curious how <laughs> that is going to play out, because what you said about Trump's affinity for sort of strongman leaders, I'm not just trying to kick Trump, although I've not I've made it pretty clear in this podcast, my feelings about Trump as a president. But part of my reasoning of why I dislike him so much as a leader is I truly think he thinks of everything through the lens of himself first and not the country. And there have been plenty of presidents passed of both parties that I think have put country first. This is not one who does. And that's why when he is, you know, has admiration for someone like Putin, it's just be, it has nothing to do with Russia's relationship with the U.S. It is truly just Trump recognizing a fellow in his eyes, you know, strong personality. He doesn't like weak people. He doesn't like losers. So all he cares about is men who make him feel powerful, who flatter him, who he sees as being strong and crushing and sort of wishing he could be that kind of leader here. If Trump had the ability to crush dissent in the U.S., he would, you know what I mean? I think he would be a Putin kind of leader if if he had the capability.
0: So so, I think you made that clear. I don't, I don't yeah. think it's us projecting something onto him. There's plenty of times that he... He stated that wish that he was able to
1: do that. Right. Like and stated like how nice it was in other countries like North Korea that they have military parades and they all praise Kim Jong Il. And he sort of wants that because he's his goals and interests are always self-focused. So if you have that return of that mentality in the U.S. in our elections, while any sort of major crisis is still unfolding in Ukraine and Russia, I just think it'll be so toxic. But I also, like, I'm truly curious how it would resonate with the American people at that point. You know, like, how would Trump's softness to Russia look in two years if, say, thousands or even more, tens of thousands of Ukrainian people have been slaughtered, you know, where the country is being war-torn? I just, I'm really, I don't know. I'm really curious to see how that all unfolds. It's coming at an interesting time in all of our country's <laughs> history, I think. Do
0: you know, um, is... Trump on record as saying anything about how he feels about how this is happening? Because I think that's going to matter just in terms of political alliances here, and what people feel comfortable saying or not saying.
1: That's really, really interesting. The second you said it, I was like, I don't know if he has. I have. He's been fairly quiet the last several weeks. Part of that is he doesn't have Twitter <laughs> still. So it would be interesting to see if he was just able to spontaneously shoot off some thoughts about Russia. He might do that. Um, but now he has to put out an official, you know, statement uh, on presidential letterhead, and that doesn't come very often. So,
0: yeah, all all I know is that he he made the claim that this type of attention would never have happened if he was president. Sure, but I'm not sure that I that he's on the record as saying how he feels about what's happening right now.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that either. I don't think.
0: Yeah, I'm looking up online here, and uh, most of his most of the articles I'm seeing about his opinions about Biden and in about. 2018, 2019. Um, Here's just a, a headline from the Daily News. Trump slams Biden for allowing tensions with Russia and Ukraine to reach the brink of war, which is kind of what I just said. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't have happened if he was president.
1: And part of the reason I think Trump, and just because of his, he also doesn't, as someone who doesn't have a, a great grasp on foreign policy, his sort of simplistic thinking in those situations, we saw this in North Korea, how the power balance got a little dicey there when his with his visits to the country and his letters to Kim Jong-il, is he thinks highly enough of himself that he just, I think in this situation, thinks because he's quote unquote friendly with Putin, that he could do the old boys club backslap, you know, cut Country club, hey man, don't invade Ukraine. And Putin would be like, oh, okay, sure, buddy, we're, you know, we golf together, (laughs) we're friends. He doesn't, I think he puts enough stock in his own ability to influence Putin that he doesn't understand the ramifications, like on a geo, social, political level.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, if, if I am going to view that, like you just described, through the best lens possible, I think you're probably right that he's used to making deals in that fashion. So of course you, learn how to relate well and complement these other kinds of authoritarian leaders because at some point you're gonna to need to play that relational aspect, you need to play that card and get something that's really important. And in his world that includes business ties mm-hmm. and you help each other make money and you, which made which was part of what made it problematic for him as president because of all of the economic intertwining of things, right? But at the same time, that is how you can get people to acquiesce and, in a sense, do the right thing at times because there's a lot on the line. So it wouldn't surprise me if that is how he viewed a lot of those relationships. Like, he was proud of being the first American president to have, like, a relationship with Kim Jong-il. And I think that's partly because he did think he could accomplish exactly what you just described,
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: the backroom bartering. I think perhaps— what, um, <laughs> what what history makes clear is that people can often overestimate their ability to do that kind of thing at this kind of level versus the level they're used to doing it at.
1: Yeah, and as we're talking, I mean, literally, I've just, you know, CNN's been posting live updates because of this um, uh, Putin address that's supposed to be happening today. So he's giving it right now and they're just posting some updates. So he did... One of the things that he has just announced, which to me, again, just seems like momentum escalation, but he announced today that Russia will be recognizing, signing a decree recognizing um, the separatist republics of, I think it's Donbass or Donbass. I haven't said it, heard it said out loud before. So those are the separatist regions of Ukraine that are kind of on the border between Ukraine and Russia, and that's significant because no governments, including Russia, uh, have recognized those republics. Um, they're basically, for all intents and purposes, re- Russian-controlled territories. I mean, they're full of mm-hmm. Russian loyalists. But so that's already, you know, the first thing coming out of this announcement today is is an official government recognition of Russia of these um, separatist region so it
0: so, so does that mean they're part of russia or does that mean russia will help them fight to kick ukrainian authority out of that territory
1: i think the latter i think they're he's re- he's recognizing them as as you know Um, officially recognizing them as their own regions. And of course it's pushing the narrative, like you were talking about, that Ukraine is somehow uh, involved in massive shelling Mm -hmm. of these territories and is causing civilian suffering, which just obviously reads like Russian propaganda. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I I don't believe anything (laughs) that Russia is saying. I I would need third-party verification before I would take it with anything more than a grain of
1: salt. So it's clearly, um, yeah, continue to escalate, even probably by the time this podcast Comes out even, you know, probably, you know, in the next few days or whatever it is, that it's, it's, it could be wildly escalated from what we're even talking about today.
0: We should note we are recording on uh, Monday. February 21st.
1: Ironically, President's Day. (laughs) President's Day. (laughs) Just how I'm sure Biden wanted to spend it today. Um, Well, I did want to ask you before we started recording, we were talking about just kind of speaking of sort of conservative response to Putin. You mentioned this um, uh, controversy with Graham. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, this ran across my or I wouldn't have known about it, but Franklin Graham posted something on Twitter that would otherwise have been an innocuous kind of thing. And actually the kind of thing that Christians in general and I would agree with. He, he said something along the lines of you know, pray for President Putin, that he will change his mind, that he will leave this course of action and pray for world leaders who are working with them in negotiations, that they have the wisdom to bring this to a, like a peaceful and nonviolent end. OK, fair enough. I agree with all of that. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. I don't have it right in front of me. Mm-hmm. The pushback he got was that it seemed interesting. And he even says in his in his post, he starts out to say, pray for President Putin, period. That may sound like an odd request or something like that. And most people were like, that did sound like an odd request. And it, apparently Franklin Graham even felt that that would create some tension in people. And so the feedback he was getting was things like, typically in situations like this, people are asked to pray for the victims. In this case, it would be the Ukraine. Pray for the people of the Ukraine, that they are spared a war, etc. Um, So that was part of it. was interesting to highlight Putin as the one in need of prayer, like, and not that he's not as a Christian, I (laughs) I clearly believe he's in need of prayer, but it just seemed like a pretty big oversight to not include the people in Ukraine. The second thing was one of the key negotiators of these world leaders who's trying to help work this out is Biden, why not also include pray for president Biden
1: Mm -hmm. that he,
0: I mean, by name, what's the harm of pointing that out? And so I, I found myself reading the responses, with a little bit of mixed emotion. Like it's not that I disagreed with what Franklin Graham posted, but it did seem like of all the ways to bring people's attention to that and call prayer out of them. Um, it was carefully worded in such a way that it feels, um, I, I don't know. It, it kind of.
1: Like he didn't want to even, even acknowledge Biden. Yeah. Yeah. It bothered
0: me a bit too. Um, and I, it'll be interesting to see. I, that'll probably turn into a huge online fight. I would just see one or two articles pop up. I think maybe he posted it yesterday. So <laughs> maybe in a future episode, we'll have thousands of responses to sift through and see what we think about it. But it, it kind of ties into what we were talking about, the way there seems to be a a kid's glove handling of Putin. Um, I mean, even to choose language, it says, pray that Putin stops his outrageous pretense at war, like choose some language. It's pretty clear. Like it's not just, he's going to make a bad decision. And I, I wish I had the language in front of me. I should have looked it up. Ahead of time, but it seems like there would have been ways to go. This is a dastardly, evil thing that's about to happen, and we should be desperately praying that it doesn't. And then you can list all the people involved on all kinds of different levels.
1: So here's, oh, I got it for you, Anthony. Anthony. Oh, okay, I grabbed it just to say, yeah. So he had tweeted this too, which again, like, let's just all agree, like, Twitter is not the place to be communicating nuanced things about anything. (laughs) So his tweet was, "This may sound like a strange request, but we need to pray that God would work in." his heart. Pray for President Putin today was how it started. We need to pray that God would work in his heart so that war could be avoided at all costs. May God give wisdom to the leaders involved in these talks and negotiations, as well as those advising him. So I will just say as a writer (laughs) that that is very strategically worded because, first of all, to say that God would work in his heart so that war could be avoided at all costs. That's kind of what we call passive language. Like, Mm -hmm. why would war be happening in the first place? Well, because Putin's preparing to invade the Ukraine. Not like there's just some, you know, magical invasion about to happen and Putin just happens to be consequently on side of it. Like you said he. you could word it to say so that God would work in his heart so that he would not make this reckless decision to invade Ukraine or whatever it would be instead of acting like it's somehow unconnected. And then also, like you said, give wisdom to the leaders involved in these talks. It's like that does seem like a way of just avoiding saying Biden's name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it brings me back to it feels like there's a, this incident with Russia is revealing some kind of Shift. I don't know if I'll say seismic shift, but something is shifting within um, conservatism, I think. It has generally been aligned with a deep opposition to communism, a deep opposition to strongman leadership, um, different things. It just feels like right now something is shifting, and that unsettles me mm-hmm. um, because I think both of those things ought to be deeply opposed. I, I, I don't like a trend away from it. Um, so I, I guess we'll see where it goes.
1: And it does like, I, and I'm not saying that conservatives or Christians do this exclusively, but at how it is a thing that has bothered me for years. And it's, it's, I think part of a larger issue that I haven't, we've talked about on many podcasts, but this sort of close, um, intertwining of religion and politics that, you know, I've seen sp- A a lot of Christians will post, you know, you know, sometimes even daily during Trump's administration, you know, like pray for President Trump today or some kind of meme about praying for the president or, you know, memes of like Jesus with his arms around Trump or angels around Trump or whatever. Fine. I don't dispute the idea of praying for your presidents or praying for your national leaders for wisdom, especially we could we could agree on that for anyone. But I have absolutely seen. That refusal or that silence when there is a Democratic president involved. I don't see a lot of pray for Hillary Clinton memes. I don't see a lot of, you know, pray for Barack Obama, pray for Biden. And it's like that just really annoys me because it, that is putting politics ahead of, I think, Christianity and what the message of Christ is. And this idea that you're not just supposed to be praying for people whose political <laughs> affiliations align with yours. In fact, the more someone thinks differently, for you, my take of the Bible anyway, is like, those are the people that Christ sought out. And those are the people you were encouraged to love your enemy. You're encouraged to, and I don't even like the word enemy in this situation, but I just, I don't think we're supposed to act that way in a Christian capacity of just offering our prayers and support to one, you know, group of people who we think we're politically aligned with.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, if you think of the last couple years, um, it, it would not have been unusual to see my Christian friends on the left post, um, pray for Whitmer if they're from Michigan mm-hmm. while my Christian friends on the right posted pray for Trump. But the reality was we should be praying for both of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I was actually, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of years because I was deeply feeling the tensions of politics and COVID responses and all those types of things. And I did, I found myself falling into that trap. I prayed for the people I like <laughs> and, uh, and I, I kind of had to confront that myself and go, no, actually, I don't think that's what I'm called to do. If if prayer has an impact, and I believe that it does as a Christian, I'd be mean, praying for everybody. And so I tried very hard when I prayed for one, I tried to remember the list and go, all right, let's pray for all of them. They all need wisdom. They all need uh, graciousness. They all need truth. They all need all those types of things. Um, it's not just one group of people that needs that. We all do. So. Uh, yeah it, it would be nice to see that net cast very wide when it comes to um issues like prayer
1: yeah yeah well um maybe as we're wrapping up I you know just to kind of tie that into what we were talking about today and just sort of bring it try to bring it full circle. Would just be like I think everyone involved in this situation in the Russian Ukraine is going to need a lot of prayer Um, because it it does feel really tense. And I just wanted to offer some context for again, because news is kind of getting posted here as we're talking live on the show today. But so with that recognition of the separatist regions, um, the New York Times had a little explanation of why that's meaningful. And I think, you know, just to know that it it does represent an escalation, because the territory that the separatists claim to represent goes beyond the territory they actually control. So the separatists on the border, you know, control this eastern part of Ukraine, but they claim their boundaries go much further into space that is actually controlled by the Ukrainian army. So the thinking here is that by Russia Russia recognizing these separatist regions, the separatists can then ask for Russian military support to protect their boundaries, which actually extend well into Ukraine and would thus give Putin the pretext he needs to invade Ukraine. Um, So that does not seem like a promising development, just to put that into context.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling that our next recording, there'll probably be significant updates for this.
1: Yeah. So thanks for talking with me today, Anthony, about this. And it's definitely a a serious and challenging situation. I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to do some updates on the show in the future. We'll keep following it. And we look forward to being back on our next episode with Taylor. So thank you guys for listening today.